In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Quarterback. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. And so got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown, Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I am your host, Michael Rothstein. It's a short week this week, as we've talked about a few different times now. So today is Mailbag Day. And get ready for it because we've got a lot of good questions. As always, thank you all to asking said questions. Really appreciate it. Uh, I'm sure you won't be surprised that a lot of the questions today are about the job security and the future of Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn and to some extent Rod Wood and Matthew Stafford. So we're just going to jump right in and try to hit as many as possible. I tried to be a little bit more judicious today as far as if I got multiple questions on the same topic, I just used one uh, just for a time for time's sake. And yeah, so let's just jump right in. Mike Trumbull, who's at Michael Trumbull, asks, wasn't the mandate to contend for the playoffs? That's not happening. He will be fired. So I just wanted to hit this right off the top, and I'll say what I usually say right off the top, which is even though at this point it looks like an inevitability, if you read my post-game analysis slash column that ran on Monday, you read that you know there has been no progress made, that it's just not really working, which is what I wrote. That said, still don't love talking about this because as I think I said on yesterday's show, we are still talking about families here and assistant coaches who you know, don't make the same type of money that Matt Patricia has made or that Bob Quinn has made. You're talking about some other staffers. And, and there's a lot of things that happen when somebody loses their job when a regime is changed that people don't think about you know kids are the kids and wives are the ones who take the brunt of this a lot of times because they're the ones that have to pick up roots wherever their husband is going uh to work and they have to make new friends and make new relationships and that's really hard and it's harder i think for coaches than for players because players half the year will maybe live somewhere else but coaches I mean you have to basically move where you're going and that's really hard that's hard on families so that said yes the mandate was not quite contend for the playoffs but have meaningful games in December major improvement those were the benchmarks that were set down when they decided to keep Matt Patricia for this year and Yeah, at this point, I think you can look at it and say the playoffs are an extremely long shot and more than likely not going to happen, barring some sort of unlikely, completely shocking thing at this point. There's no juice around this team. There's no energy around this team. There's no excitement around this team, at least from what we can see from Zoom calls and from what we see on the field. So, yes, that was the mandate, and based off of that mandate, you would think that this might not be too much longer here for Matt Patricia. But Sheila Fordham hasn't talked in a while. Yes, there have been requests made to speak with her, put another one in Sunday night after the loss. Same with Bob Quinn. Uh, at this point, do not I don't expect to hear from any of them until a decision is made. And that's just... And I think we've talked about it on this podcast before that 
at this point, that makes sense because even if Sheila Fordham came out and spoke to the media and took questions, every question would be a question that she would get after a decision was made as well. So to me, at this point, it makes sense why she's not saying anything because what could she say if she hasn't made a decision yet? I haven't made a decision. Well, what, you know, it, what will change in what she says? So at this point, like I said, I think that that's where they're at. Jason Poitras, who's at Jay Pointes, asks, Curious on two things. In the Lions scheme, does the strong safety have more responsibility than the free safety? Could this explain why Tracy Walker's lack of year everyone expected? And two, how can Matthew Stafford be blamed? Five sacks, five drops, 11 hits, bad play calling, no separation. All right, we'll take the second question first. Uh, yeah, Matthew Stafford can still accept blame and, and take blame for this because the team still scored zero points. Now, yes, I don't think a large majority of Sunday's loss was on Matthew Stafford. Um, yes, there could have been some better decisions that were made, but the offensive line struggled. His receivers couldn't catch the ball, as you said. And I thought the play calling was not good at all. And the one time they do hit on a big play, it gets called back because of a penalty that Matthew Stafford has no control over. So I agree that Matthew Stafford probably, him taking it on himself, is more. that's just kind of what he does. That's how he is. But I don't think he should shoulder the large portion of blame for what happened on Sunday. I think that was a coaching issue. That was an offensive line struggling. That was receivers not being good at all. He should take some blame, but he shouldn't take the vast majority of it. I know there is at least one of my colleagues in the Detroit media that wrote that Matthew Stafford should take a lot of the blame. And I would just say that I disagree with that person a lot. Matthew Stafford can take the blame for a lot of a lot of games, a lot of games that have not gone well. This one, I don't really put on him as much. Although you can say that he should have been able to make some more plays and you should be able to muster some points, and I agree with that. I don't put this fully on him. I think there were failures at a lot of other levels. As far as the other question, I'm not entirely sure about the responsibilities. I don't think, however, that that matters one way or the other. Deron Harmon's the guy probably with the most responsibility, at least in the back end of the defense. So for Tracy Walker, I think the lack of the year everyone expected, you know, he was asked about that, right? And he didn't want to get into it. And he wanted to talk about it. He said life, COVID, life. Like that was what he said. And it's been, I mean, it's been a trying year for Tracy Walker. Not that Tracy Walker is going to blame these things, at least, or, or really even talk about it. But remember, Tracy Walker dealt with, the horrific death of his cousin Ahmad Arbery, like that happened in the, that happened this year it, earlier this year. He is about to become a new dad. That's stressful in itself, especially in COVID. Those are two incredibly stressful, obviously one incredibly exciting, one incredibly tragic life events that have happened. Beyond that. Whatever was going on in training camp where they basically were not running him with the ones, which I think hurt his chemistry with Deron Harmon and with some of the other players in the secondary and some new linebackers, that I still don't understand why you did that because you're trying to experiment with Will Harris, who's clearly the inferior player. I, I, there are a lot of reasons that could explain it. Tracy Walker's just also not having a good year. He's made some mistakes, but everybody on this defense has made mistakes at one point or another. So, you know, really other than Romeo Aquara and Amani Awarie and Harmon, find me a player that I think that has played consistently well on this defense every game. And I don't think you can find one. Those three guys I think have. Jamie Collins is too hit and miss. Uh, Tracy's too hit and miss. So I think that's part of it. And again, the first part of that is just hypothesizing a little bit of what Tracy Walker could have been meaning with life. We don't know, and I think that this gets lost too, and it goes back to what I was talking about in the last question. We don't always know what players are dealing with, what coaches are dealing with. You know, one of my sayings that I go to the most, and I realized this more than anything else when my mom was sick back in 2012, 2013, 2014, is everybody's got stuff. My version's a little bit more R-rated, but 
everybody's got stuff. And you just never totally know what somebody's dealing with. So Tracy Walker hinted at that he's dealing with stuff. But we don't know exactly what that stuff is because he didn't want to expand on it. It's totally his decision. I totally respect that. But that could be part of it. At New York Darren asks, I know we talk about Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia getting heat, but what has Rod Wood done to keep his job as team president? He deserves more heat just because you are the Ford's personal puppy dog doesn't exclude you from being the most underqualified president in the league. So, all right. I get your frustration for it. And listen, I understand it. And I think you can make an argument that they should have had somebody with a bit more of football background as their team president, without a doubt. But Rod Wood's been around for a while now. He's been around for five years. So I think he's now gained that experience. They made Rod Wood the team president to handle the business side of things, to handle the marketing side, to handle everything that's not football related. And I think on that end, he's largely done well. He's made good improvements to Ford Field. I think they've modernized some things on the business end of things. So in that aspect, Bob uh, Rod Wood has done a good job. His job is not necessarily on the football side of things. Now, was he partially responsible for hiring Matt Patricia? Yes. Was he partially responsible for hiring Bob Quinn? Yes. So he should not get a pass on those things. But to me, it would seem like Sheila Ford Hamp would be judging Bob Quinn, or not Bob Quinn, sorry, Rod Wood, more on the business aspect of things, the business side of things, instead of football-related things. Now, she may decide if they do move on from Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia that she wants to tear down everything. But Rod Wood has also been somebody who's controlled the Ford's money for a long time. And when I say controlled, meaning managed it. And he's done a really good job with that. So... To me, I don't think you're going to see that move happen unless Rod Wood wanted to step away. I don't get the sense that Rod Wood wants to step away. I think if anything, Rod Wood and Sheila Ford Hamp have an understanding and a good working relationship. And if you are an owner, you want somebody who you really trust in that team president's chair. And if she trusts Rod Wood, then he's probably going to stay. So I understand why people think he should get more heat, but the way that their business is structured, he is more on the business side of things, less on the football side of things. And that does not shock me considering when she's been on different boards, how she's tried to delineate, how Sheila Fort Hamp has tried to delineate things. So we'll see what happens. Obviously that will be a question for her whenever she does talk. If Rod would does keep his job would be kind of how does his role change does he become more active in football does he become less active in the football side of things so to me that's what you're looking at there I I think that his statement of you know not being a football guy in his first press conference has hung over him a little bit but he's had time to learn to me there's been no indication that Rod Wood is is in trouble in any sort of way So I would not waste time worrying about that because at the end of the day, Rod Wood's impact on the football side of the equation will likely be very, very minimal. And it's really all about the general manager, the front office, and the coaching staff and the head coach. We'll take one more and then go to the break. Upset Lions fan asks, can all Lions fans chip in to buy the team? I mean, maybe if you got every Lions fan out there to to contribute a decent amount of money, but you're talking about needing billions upon billions of dollars to do that. And then what are you doing with it? Are you creating a public trust like the Packers? Well, you still need to have a certain amount of money to do that. I I like the the initiative, but I don't think that that's something that's plausible. And I know you're probably being facetious here, upset Lions fan, but... Just wanted to get that out there because there are a lot of questions about ownership. Also, Sheila Fordham has shown no inclination of being interested at all about selling the team at any point. 
and she just took over. So I just don't see that happening and don't think that'll happen. We'll be back right after this with more of the mailbag on the Michael Ross. Two thousand twenty has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Much to the happiness of probably everybody, businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. That's right, no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates who resume, whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore, total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast, faster than even Matt Prater's 59-yard field goal went through the uprights. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And football, as we have seen, is very much back in full swing. And you might not be at a game this year only 500 or so people can be in Lions games over the last couple of home games, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day. Every day, head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use that promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, back to our show. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. Nick Sharkey just asks, why? And that's such an existential question, Nick. Why not? Why why does anything happen? Why do the Lions struggle so much? Why have they had so many issues throughout the last 60 years? Why is the sky blue? I mean, that's an answer you can look up through science. But, but you, you get my point. Is Why is such a broad question. Um, the answer to why, for what I think you're asking, would be, I, I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> Simply, I just don't. I, I'm guessing you're answering your, your question is either why the coaching staff is still in place or why the Lions have struggled as they were. And I just don't have any answers. I'm, I'm answerless at this point. Um, as far as the coaching staff situation, the short week to me definitely had something to do with it. And we'll get into it in a little bit more of the benefits of sticking with a coach for through a full season versus getting rid of them at midseason, especially at this point when things are basically where they are. Courtney asks, is this week Matt Patricia gets the boot? Um, obviously, that did not happen. That question was asked on Sunday. He is still the head coach as of when you're listening to this on Tuesday. But the week is not over, and obviously with them playing on Thursday, we'll see what happens. I think if the Lions win, Matt Patricia is probably around until the end of the season for sure. If they lose, I don't know what will happen. 
And I just really am not sure what will happen at that point. They do have a little bit of a buy. They have a little bit longer of a runway if they did want to make a change. And I think at that point, you just have to ask yourself, well, what's the benefit of making a change now versus waiting till the end of the season? So I don't know. Again, Sheila Fordham has not talked, but it's pretty clear things are not going well with the Lions. And I, I, I don't know any people who would say that they are at all. Gar, who's at Gar Johnson 1, asks, who is your sleeper Super Bowl contender this year? That's a good question. So I don't think Seattle is a sleeper anymore. They were actually the team I picked to win the Super Bowl in the preseason. So, you know, I, I feel pretty good about that. Picked Russell Wilson to be MVP there in the preseason. Feel pretty good about that. I did pick the Lions to be a playoff team. That was, you know, not the best pick. So I'm just going to take a quick peek here, and then I would say Super Bowl contender that's maybe kind of not being talked about right now. I'm actually going to go with the Rams. Obviously, the Rams are playing on Monday night, and it's a really tight divisional race for them. It's a tight wild card race for them if they don't win the division. But the Rams have been there before. They've won the NFC before. They've won the NFC with largely this core. I think their defense is quite good. I think their offense has a lot of playmakers. And I think Sean McVay is a heck of a coach. So I'm going to go and say that you want a sleeper Super Bowl contender, even though I still really like Seattle and I still think Seattle is going to win the NFC. But... Give me the Rams out of the NFC as a sleeper. And then out of the AFC, I mean, listen, the Ravens are 6-4 and four right now and technically out of the playoffs if it started today. So they're interesting. But I would say, I'm going to say the Raiders. Now, the Raiders might not even make the playoffs, but I really like what I've seen out of them. I thought they took Kansas City basically to the brink. And I think John Gruden's getting it going a little bit. They've had so many COVID issues as well that you got to think that they're not playing at their full potential yet. So I like the potential of the Raiders if they can get in. And that'll be super interesting if they can. Now, they might be in a situation where they have to play three games on the road in order to get to the Super Bowl, which will be really, really tough. Because they're not going to, they're likely not going to win their division. But if you're looking for a sleeper, again, not a favorite, but a sleeper, look at the Raiders. So those would be my two: the Rams and the Raiders. Now, of course, both those teams could easily miss the playoffs. Bobby four three zero seven six asks if Patricia is not fired by the time of your podcast. That has not been the case. He has not been fired. How can he come out each week saying God's coach better and still have a job? He's con- he continues to sound like Rob Marinelli's "It's on me." You know, I mean, listen, I basically use that as a lead to my column on Monday, and I think it's just that that's a stock answer for him, and that to him is what it always is: is if it's not going well, you got to coach better, you got to work harder. That seems to always be his mentality and how he thinks. So. I think he's just saying it, and I mean, he's not going to give away a ton of answers. If you've watched his press conferences for two and a half years, and I've been a part of almost every one, you know that you're generally not going to get a ton of substantive answers out of Matt Patricia. Um, You might get some stuff, some nuggets here and there, especially if you start talking like real, you know, inside football type situations, but you're just not going to get some stuff on, on things like that, especially after games, because Patricia is a very emotional guy and a very emotional coach. And you can tell after games that these losses are wearing on him. That's that much is obvious. So I, I guess I understand why that keeps happening, why that keeps happening. But at some point it becomes stale, especially when you're not winning. And that's basically what's happening here. Alan Pearlstein, who's at Al the Lion, asks, Growing up in New York, did you always watch the Lions on Thanksgiving? You know, Al, I, I'm 
gonna shoot you straight, man. I was thinking about this a lot and really trying to think about it, and I want to say I did, but I don't think I watched them in full every year because usually we would go to my aunt's house, which was about a half hour away, and we would usually drive at some point during the first game to get there by 4 o'clock because usually that's when Thanksgiving dinner happened was around then. So I'm trying to remember. Yeah, we definitely did because my house was as much of a basketball house as my house was. uh, And my family is much more of a basketball family than a football family. Uh, And I think I've talked about that before. We definitely watched Thanksgiving football. We watched football every weekend. My dad was a diehard Jets fan for a long time. He had season tickets uh, or partial season tickets. So we definitely watched football every Sunday. It's part of how my dad and I bonded when I was younger we were through football and through basketball uh, and later through golf. But we definitely watched the Lions on Thanksgiving. I could not tell you anything about it, though, because that's also now we're talking 30 or so years ago. Uh, and for me, probably thousands of football games ago, and maybe tens of thousands of sporting events ago that I've actually covered uh, in one form or fashion. Uh, so, yeah, I did watch them, but I couldn't tell you. Nothing really stands out more than anything else when it comes to that. Uh, I wish I had a better answer for you. Nate Simons, who's at What Simon Says asks, when do we get to see a light at the end of the tunnel, and why is it just a train coming at us? You know, Nate, we've talked so much this year on this podcast about joy and about watching this team, and I I do feel for Lions fans because I feel like there's a lot of feeling like that. And, you know, it goes back to what we talked about, what, week two, week three, somewhere there in there about, you know, it's the hope that kills you, the Ted Lasso line. And I, I don't know, man. I don't know the answer to that. I think you will see a light at the end of the tunnel at some point this year or, again, going back to hope. Now, it's interesting that we're talking about this again because three years ago, right before they hired Matt Patricia, if you remember, the Bills had made the playoffs for the first time in forever and the Browns had just gone 0-16. And... I actually went to all three cities over one weekend. It was the weekend that the Bills played in their first playoff game on the road. And what I did was I spent an afternoon in a bar in Detroit. And I spent the next day at the Browns parade, the 0-16 parade. And then I spent the the day after that in a bar in Buffalo that was packed with Bills fans to watch that first playoff game. And I wrote about the the three different cities and how one of them was basically as low as you can go. One of them was in the playoffs for the first time in 20 years. And then the other one, the Lions, were about to have change and have hope because they were going to get the the top coach in the cycle, the coach that people wanted the coach they wanted. And that, to me, was a light at the end of the tunnel moment. And it obviously did not work out well in Detroit. But I think you can look at Buffalo, you can look at Cleveland, look at where those two franchises are right now, and you can see that there is the chance, if you get the right coach, if you get the right combination of coach, general manager, quarterback, if you get the right talent around that quarterback, that can give you hope the season ended today the Browns would be in the playoffs they'd be seven and three and be the sixth seed and frankly if they were in almost any other division if they were in the AFC East or AFC South they could have a three seed or a four seed because there's also seven and three so there's that but they're in the same division as the undefeated Steelers then there's the Bills the Bills are leading the AFC East at 7-3. and three. The Bills looked like a potential Super Bowl contender 
as we were talking about a couple of questions ago, the other team I was looking at beyond the Raiders were the Bills. They Both teams seem like they've found their coach, like they've found their rhythm, certainly in Buffalo with Sean McDermott. So if I'm the Lions, if I am somebody listening to this podcast that is a Lions fan, I look at those two franchises and hang my head on that and understand that there is the chance to get better and you just have to, I guess, buy into that and build into that. But I wouldn't fault any Lions fan at this point for walking away and saying no. MKE, who's at Misha Katja, asks, are you starting to see what I said about Jeff Okuda from the start, or is it going to take three years or whatever for you like it did with Tease Tabor? So what he is talking about here is we had a conversation on Twitter about Jeff Okuda and whether or not he's going to be any good. I am in the camp that I still think Jeff Okuda has a chance to be really good, that he's going through a really rough rookie year now, but I don't feel like those comparisons to Tease Tabor are fair because their problems were different. And their problems to me were, were much different in that Tabor's biggest problem was speed. And that was never going to be something that can be taught or coached. To me, this is very rookie growing pains-esque of Jeff Okuda. Plus, he's being asked to do a lot in a system that I don't think works best for him as a rookie. I mean, you're asking him to be a man a man press corner against some of the best receivers in the league. Now, obviously, against Carolina, everyone remembers, including myself, because I pointed it out when he got absolutely toasted on a deep ball that was maybe the biggest play of the game and one of the bigger turning points early in the game. So that was really bad. And Okuda's have far too many of those this year. But to me, I would say, let's see what happens here in year two before you start to really put him in that tease Tabor category. Now, if it doesn't work and it, next year is just as bad as this year, I will gladly admit that you were right and that I was wrong. I will gladly admit that. But I don't know. I look at it and I say, hey, I think there is still a lot of potential with Jeff Okuda. And I think you can really hold on to that for the future because I think you can see it in fits and starts. It just hasn't come nearly enough this year. But I, I don't totally place all of that blame on Jeff Okuda. Tim Campbell, who's at Vincent Life, asks, tell me why I should watch Thursday if the coaching staff remains the same. Uh, because it's Thanksgiving and it's because maybe what you do. Otherwise, as we were talking about before about things bringing you joy, if the Lions don't bring you joy, if watching them don't doesn't bring you joy, then don't watch. Go spend time with your family if you're fortunate enough to have family around. Go spend time with friends. Go read a book. Go, I don't know, it's, it's Thanksgiving so a lot of things are closed. Go for a nice long walk if it's nice out. And I think it's supposed to be nice out for late November in Detroit, if you're in Michigan. I don't know where you are. Go do something that you that's fun for you if you don't have fun watching the Lions anymore. Like, I understand why people do it. I get it. Fan is short for fanatic, and, and you're just hoping and, and all of that. But if you're not getting joy out of this in what's clearly another lost season, then go do something else with your time, man. If there's one thing that, that hopefully was learned this year, it's that life is a very is a fleeting moment and it's short. And if you're not getting joy out of things, and I feel like I've said this a lot on this podcast, if you don't get joy out of things, why are you doing it? And that's generally my stock answer when it comes to, to getting asked these sorts of questions. If you don't find joy in watching the Lions this season, so walk away from it. It's okay. Like they're still going to be here next year. They're still going to be a franchise next year. Like, Go do something to, to enjoy yourself that makes you happy. Go do that. But, you know, if you want to watch it, it is tradition. And if your family wants to watch it, if you're lucky enough to have family around, then uh, then go for it, man. That would be my answer, Tim. I don't have a good answer for you. I really don't. Other than you want to see Matthew Stafford play. Terrence Brooks, who's at Brooks underscore senior, asks... Is this the definition of a meaningful football game? I'm assuming that you mean the Carolina game. And yes, that was absolutely a definition of a meaningful football game because you needed to win that game to stay in the playoff hunt. 
and you got shut out. Is Thursday a meaningful game? Technically, yes. Technically, you're still alive. Technically, it is a meaningful game. And it's a meaningful game on other reasons, too. Because if it goes really poorly, like another double-digit loss, that might be very well the end of Matt Patricia in Detroit. So it is meaningful on that end of things. It is meaningful because it's the only time this year, let's be real, it's the only time this year that the Lions are going to be on national television because there's little to no reason to flex them in any part of December at this point. If they get flexed, it's because Minnesota's playing for a playoff spot in in a win-and-in situation in Week 17. Let's just say that, right? But, like, that seems unlikely considering where the Vikings are right now, too. So, other than that, like, this is the last time that they're playing a national game this year, a game that's going to get attention nationally. So, that would be the definition to me of a meaningful game. But that would be it. Brandon Searhall, who's at B. Searhall, asks... And I love this question. Will the Pistons make the playoffs? And do you what do you think of Q's basketball this season? Elite Eight, Final Four. Okay, so a couple things here. Mr. Searhall is an old college friend of mine. We worked at a bar together at Syracuse that no longer exists. Um, a bar that is still very near and dear to my heart, and I still have the T-shirt for said bar from when I worked there. And I still fit into it, too, 20 years later. So that's a nice win for me, or 19 or so years later. Um, Brendan is a diehard Lions fan, and whenever he asks questions, I try to make sure I answer them. These obviously aren't Lions questions. Do the Pistons make the playoffs? Uh, probably not. I mean, I, I like the idea of what Troy Weaver is doing, but let's be honest here. Like, Troy Weaver is conducting a massive rebuild at this point. And that's what should happen. And if you are a Lions, not to bring it back to the Lions, but if you are someone watching the Lions, if you are Lions ownership, you should see what he is doing, what in many ways Alavila did with the Tigers, what even happened with the Wings, because all of these programs, all of these teams are in various forms of rebuilds. And say, okay, it will stink. It will take a while, but you need to do that. If you really want to have a shot at a winner and not just kind of, you know, moving around the deck chairs, you, you need to kind of do what the Pistons did, which is just say, all right, we're, we're gotten everything and I've got a timetable and a plan and you have a plan. And Troy Weaver clearly has a plan. Troy Weaver, by the way, a former Syracuse assistant coach under Jim Beheim, but he has a clear plan. I don't think they make the playoffs this year. No, nah, I, I really don't see that. I think they're probably a couple years away, even though, you know, who knows what in the East and who knows what this season will be like in the NBA. But I, I don't see them making the playoffs this year. But I like the beginnings of what Troy Weaver is doing and the young pieces that he's building around or trying to build around. I like that. The second question, the Syracuse basketball question, I honestly haven't watched a ton of Syracuse basketball. Obviously, they haven't played yet. They're starting. I believe they're starting up this week. I don't know their exact schedule. So I don't have great opinions on Syracuse basketball yet. Obviously, Buddy Beheim's a really good player. I like Joe Girard. But probably way too early to make any sort of predictions. I need to see them first because usually I don't start catching college basketball games. I love college basketball. But I usually don't get to start watching college basketball games until the NFL season or at least the NFL season I'm covering ends. So I can't really say much about it because I, I haven't been paying too much attention. Come back to me in a month or so. Jason Shipman, who's at jshippy10, asks, Why not move Braden Combs this year if ownership and advisors think highly of him? I'm assuming to head coach. Let him learn on the season, and mistakes are not costly. He'd have a better idea coming into the next year knowing what he wants. He grew up with a head coach dad and learned under Marvin Lewis. So a couple of things here on Braden. I don't think that if you see them make a move, let's just say for argument's sake they make a move this week. Like let's say it doesn't go well on Thursday. I don't even know if they would make Braden the interim head coach yet. I just really don't know 
if that would happen. I think you probably would see Daryl Bevel become the interim head coach. But if you want to get a look at Braden's potential, then maybe, just maybe, you give him that look. Uh, as far as the son of a head coach, that is accurate. He is the son of a head coach, Kerry Combs, who's the former Tennessee Titans defensive back coach, is the Ohio State defensive coordinator now. Uh, he was a longtime head coach at Coleraine High School in Ohio. Like, longtime, legendary, legendary high school coach at Coleraine High School. He very well known there, won some state titles, like really, really good coach. It's great coach actually. Um, I think Braden has potential. Uh, we've talked about this I think many times on this podcast. I think he's a head coach in the making. I think he's got it. I think you can look at his units this year. Special teams is the most consistently good unit the Lions have. Matt Prater aside at this point, and I still don't know what's going on there. I think if you maybe might say you want to keep him, then maybe you give him that shot as the head coach. Maybe you give him that shot. But I think if you want to try and keep him overall, I I don't know if you do. Unless you have a conversation with him and say, listen, we're doing this. We're giving you this shot. We are hoping that whoever the new coach is retains you in that special teams role. And you kind of go from there. It's a good question. It really is. Um, I think of all the coaches on the staff, he has the most potential to be a head coach. Him, Kyle Kasky are, are the two that I would look at. Kyle Kasky being the running backs coach. Um I don't know what Robert Prince's ambitions are, but I know he's very well liked. He clearly can develop talent as the receiver's coach. So to me, I look at those things. I think Steve Gregory has done a good job with some of the players, notably Amani Awarie. So I look at some of that. But Braden, to me, is the most head coach-like on this staff for the future. That said, I think you would promote Daryl Bevel. And I think you'd give Daryl Bevel a shot, too. And I would have no problem with that if you did. Because, remember, once upon a time before the Matt Patricia's greatest fourth-quarter play call ever, that Daryl Bevel was a hot head coaching candidate. He was a hot head coaching name. He was a guy that seemed like he was going to get there. And then that one play call kind of derailed everything. Um, Which I don't totally think was fair when you look back at it. So I think you maybe we see Daryl Bevel get the shot. But if they... Moved on from Matt Patricia, and they gave Braden a shot. I would not be surprised, and I think it would be an interesting decision. Um, I would be very curious to see what would happen if all of a sudden they started winning. That would be a tough. That would be a tough call if you really want a clean house. But maybe you feel like all of a sudden you don't have to. But I, I don't know. That's a tough thing right there. That's a really tough thing. Douglas Deporter, who's at Dougie D eighty nine, asks: Is it too early to write up about potential general managers and head coaches? Yeah, I know. Listen, we're talking a lot about this stuff on the podcast right now, but I think it's still a little too early on that. Uh, I would like to wait until there's a move made. Like, let's. I know we've talked a little bit about candidates here and there, but it's been mostly in passing. There hasn't been any sort of deep dive. I certainly am not writing about it until there's a move made. So, from a writing perspective, yeah, it's it's going to be a minute. Uh, but from a talking about a perspective, we've mentioned some names before, but still, I'm not going to go in depth on that until there is an actual opening. That's just, that just feels like the right thing to do. Andy Ryan, who's at Roid 23 asks, what is the most plausible way the Lions end the Matthew Stafford era? I mean, listen, I think everyone would want to see him play his whole career here. Win games, like I, I think that you know that's that's what Matthew Stafford would probably want. That's what obviously the Lions would want. I definitely get the sense that that's what the fan base would want. But at this point, the plausible way that it ends, especially if the Lions move on from Quinn and Patricia and have a complete rebuild, is you're probably seeing him either play out his contract or get traded. Like that to me is the most plausible thing 
at this point. Uh, I don't know if you. I don't think that they would cut him unless he asked to be released. But even then, I think you would try and trade him to get value back because if you cut him, you don't even get a comp pick. So I think it depends on what they would do at quarterback this offseason. If again, if there's a regime change, if Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia are somehow still here, then Matt Matthew Stafford's likely still the quarterback for sure. But if it's if it is a long term rebuild. I think that those are the two ways that it ends. But maybe whoever comes in feels like they can really work with him and and that they can maybe be the guy that gets the most out of him. And we've seen that in fits and starts. And I personally think Matthew Stafford's a really good quarterback. I really do when you watch him. And and I've talked to other people around the league about this, and, and a lot of them have said the same thing, that they don't necessarily realize until the last few years how good Matthew Stafford is. But... To me, that's the most plausible thing that happens is if there's a regime change and a long-term rebuild that at some point the Lions move on from him or he asks to get moved on from. Now, it's probably more the Lions moving on from him, but that to me would be the most plausible situation. Now, when that happens, I don't know. But that to me is is what it would look like from a writing-on-the-wall perspective if things keep going as, as they are. V, who's at XXYETix1923, is there any benefit to firing Matt Patricia midseason? Which would be really the last time you're doing it with any sort of meaning to it would be uh, this week if it doesn't go well. And the benefit at this point would be, I think, satiating the fan base. The benefit would be kind of just if you want to get a look, say, at Braden or if you want to get a look at Bevel. And the other thing I think is if you're worried about, you know, development of players, if you think that maybe there can be some better development of players in a different type of system or a different type of aggressiveness of defense or a different type of aggressiveness or passiveness of offense or defense, then I think you do it. If otherwise, you know, maybe you just roll with it because – at this point, but I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think there's a ton of benefit in keeping them the whole season if you know you're going to get rid of them at this point. I also don't know if how, there's not at this point much benefit if they lose. I mean, I think if they win on Thursday, he's probably sticking around the whole year. If they lose, like I said, I don't know what happens. But uh, at that point, you know, you're the best you can do is nine and seven. And I, I don't think that that's a reasonable thing that you can see. So if you're going to do it, I guess do it and just kind of, you know, get things rolling a little bit earlier, even though you're unlikely to hire a head coach before the end of the season anyway, unless they're a college head coach or something like that, that you want to make a move on. Royce two nine one five nine six six nine asks, "When is the last time the Lions had a meaningful Thanksgiving game? Do the Lions scrimmage during the week? Just need to know if any more players get injuries on non-game days. And why is Okuda always tripping and stumbling and yards behind receivers? Did that happen at Ohio State? Last question is answer is he doesn't always do that. Uh, I think he's had some struggles this year, without a doubt. That did not happen much at Ohio State. He was a lockdown corner at Ohio State." Like, he was that good. And again, I know I've talked about it before. I think he has the potential to be that good again. The last time the Lions played a meaningful Thanksgiving game, probably 2017. They were, I believe, still in the hunt at that point. Definitely 2016 they did because they made the playoffs that year and they were kind of rolling a little bit. Um, And really, I mean... Almost every year under Caldwell, there was some sort of meaning to the Thanksgiving game. And that was something that was impressive. Uh, so in 2017, the Lions were 6-4 and four playing the Minnesota Vikings. So yes, that had a lot of meaning because at that point, they had won, what, three in a row? They had won at Green Bay, they had beaten Cleveland, and they had beaten one at the Bears going into Thanksgiving. And then they lost to the Vikings 
and then they lost the next week at the Ravens, and that was basically the beginning of the end of the Jim Caldwell era was that loss to the Vikings, and then they got blown out by the Ravens in Baltimore, and that was kind of the beginning of the end or felt like it for Jim Caldwell. If you want to go back further, 2016 on Thanksgiving, the Lions were entering that game 6-4, and four, and they beat Minnesota to go to 7-4. and four. That was part of a five-game win streak for Detroit. By the way, crazy to talk about a five-game win streak now. Just feels so weird. But they were on a five-game win streak, including sweeping the Vikings. They ended up going to New Orleans and beating the Saints the week after that. Then they beat the Bears at home. And then, if you remember, Stafford got hurt in that game when they were 9-4. and four. So they ended up going to 9-4, and four, and then they lost their last four when Stafford played injured. So 2017 and 2016 were the last meaningful Thanksgiving games for the Lions. And do they scrimmage during the week? Not like you would think. Not like a full-on scrimmage or anything like that. They practice. That means some situational football. You know, obviously teamwork, team drills, and guys get hurt, man. Like, that just happens. It happens on every team. Like, guys get banged up. Now, it feels like a lot of guys are this year in the middle of the week going down with some stuff. So, I don't know what's going on there, but it happens all the time. Today's last question comes from Nate, who's at DobyDog22. As should the Lions just keep the coaching staff in place all year, promoting the special teams quarter just ensures he leaves when the new regime comes in? Was the current Lions optimal offensive line make up for the Texans game? So we talked about the coaching staff situation to begin with. Even I think even if they moved on from Matt Patricia, at, say after this game, if it doesn't go well, let's just say that the rest of the staff is going to be in place because first of all, you're not going to be able to hire new coaches for the last month really through COVID and you can only be so shorthanded on a staff. So that's part of it. And that might be a reason why they just hold on to him the rest of the year too, by the way, if things continue to go South, but that to me is, is part of it. And I, and you just, even when these moves are made, you don't see massive, massive shakeups on the staff. You did under Caldwell a little bit, but you just don't see it a ton. You usually will see one or maybe two at most. And I just think this year that's probably a bit more unlikely. And the last part of that, the current op Lions optimal offensive line to me would be Taylor Decker at left tackle, Jonah Jackson at left guard, Frank Ragnow at center. I would play Joe Dahl at right guard personally. Um, and then I would play Terrell Crosby at right tackle. That would be, to me, the optimal offensive line. They seem to really like Odea Boucher. Halapuli Vitae, just he's too injured at this point. He keeps getting hurt. He hasn't been right all season long. We don't know what he looks like when he is right. So, to me, at this point, I would just sit him down and really kind of try to let him heal, and you kind of go from there. So, that would be my optimal offensive line. I want to thank all of you for the really great questions. Obviously, we went about an hour again today, as we typically seem to do. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. Don't forget to check out our sponsors, Indeed and Bet Online. And with that, we will talk with you tomorrow.